What's up, everybody? I hope you're having a great day, week, whenever it is you're listening to this. Welcome back to More Than Sparrows, where we are looking and going through the book of Micah verse by verse and also taking real world events and things and putting them into biblical context. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started on chapter two. One of the things that I wanted to say before we roll into reading the scripture, and that'll be on the screen in just a minute, is that for chapter two, starting out, it's really important that we understand fully the historical context of what was going on in that time. We'll talk a little bit about it today, but not spend a ton of time in detail with like the political and historical happenings and what was going on. If you uh, are interested in learning more about what exactly was happening in that time period, I suggest you go back and look at um, our first episode, Who is Micah? And I can put the link to that in the description and it'll give you the rundown of what exactly was going on during that time period. The historical background, who was in power, all of those things. So I just wanted to clarify that before we get rolling into chapter two, because we're really going to be talking a lot about what the Lord has to say about what was going on. So we'll touch on it briefly, but if you want a lot more in-depth study on those particular verses and the context, the very first episode of this series, Who is Micah, would definitely be a good one to go back and listen to again. So Let's read our verses. Okay, so here we go. The title of this section, and it's true uh, on BibleGateway.com, which is where I usually are display the scripture from, but it's also true in my Bible where it says humans' plans versus God's plans. So let's read the first five verses together. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. And morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do so. Verse 2. Let me get it to where you can actually see it. Thank you. (laughs) They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Verse 3. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. And there's kind of a natural divide there in scripture also, which makes this transition and talking about these verses by themselves pretty easy. So let's go right on up to verse one and see what in the world is going on. So woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. So here we really see in verse one specifically a lot of what was going on. We had mentioned before that the people that were in power, that were wealthy and had a lot of money and all that good stuff, they were the ones that were buying up 
a lot of land. So they would basically just buy up land and then the people that were already living on it were kind of forced out of that area. Um, so it, there was a lot of things going on for, not for, but a lot of people were being treated unfairly because these people would just come in and buy the land and then these farmers and families had to pretty much figure out what to do next. And in verse one, it's not just calling out, Micah's not just calling out the people for their actions, but also saying that they are so wrapped up in what they're doing that they are plotting evil on their bed. So at night, they're like laying awake, just scheming, trying to figure out a way for them to better their agenda, better their lives, and not necessarily considering the lives of others. So they are spending their nights just scheming away, and they are so eager that at morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They couldn't wait for morning for them to be able to enact whatever they had thought of that night. And that's, that's pretty bad stuff. Um, I was going to make a reference to some evil villain or superhero, but I'm not really good at this thing, so I'm just going to not. But if I had to, I would imagine the, like, the Joker probably stayed up lots of nights just scheming how to get at Batman or something <laughs> and couldn't wait to start his next evil plan. But one of the things that Micah calls out in these verses, specifically verses one through five, is dealing with the sin of covet covetousness, of wanting something, desiring something that is not yours, but not only wanting it or having a really strong desire for it, but willing to do what it takes to acquire it, um, whether it is through um, dishonest means and sinning in the process, but having this really, really strong desire for something that does not belong to you in and of itself breaks the law and the Ten Commandments. So um, they were taking fields and houses and oppressing men and family, and it says, seize them in their houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. So not only were they really desiring those things, but they were also being dishonest in the process and sinning as they took hold of what they were coveting, which in and of itself was a sin in the Ten Commandments is listed as a sin. And so this really brings out the point that it's not just the actions of the people defrauding and robbing. It's not just about what they did their actions is also about what was going on in their hearts. And the same is true for us as Christians. And Jesus even exemplifies this in the New Testament where he says, you have heard it said, blah, blah, blah. But I say to you, so um, it's not just, he, he takes it a step further. We could talk about that a little bit more in depth in a different episode, but he's not just talking about seizing their property and robbing them of their inheritance. He's also talking about them coveting it and wanting it in the first place and having a strong desire to have it, even though it doesn't belong to them, and for them to be planning iniquity and plotting evil on their beds. 
Micah's not just calling out their actions. He's calling out their hearts. And that's something that we saw a lot in the first chapter. Also, that Micah is not just saying, like, you guys need to stop being bad. He's saying, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. And the same is true for us today, where this is not just a call for us to stop sinning. It's not. We can stop sinning, but it's a call for our hearts to be changed and to want the things that God wants. And so that's really the main difference is having a heart of repentance or just doing the right thing, hoping that you'll be on God's good side. It's not just about doing all the right things. We, as Christians, it's Jesus plus nothing. We're not just hanging out, doing the right things, hoping that we'll get off scot-free. No, it's about our hearts being in the right place and desiring relationship with Christ and growing and being sanctified and in the process of sanctification and growing in our relationship with Christ and not wanting the things that we did before and instead desiring to follow God and to be in the center of Jesus's will. And so we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like later on in the chapter too. Um, But one of the things that these verses specifically talk about is coveting. That's one of the main sins that Micah is calling them out for. So not just defrauding people or robbing people, the action, but also the heart attitude behind the action. So we have what the people are doing here in verses one and two, where their hearts are and then where their actions are. And then we have verse three, the Lord speaks. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly for it will be a time of calamity. So here we have in verses one and two, we have men scheming and devising these plans and coming up with their own ideas of what they're going to do. And then In verse 3, the Lord says, time out. I am planning disaster on these people. So just a little bit of background. And I love this. This is really, this was really interesting to me. So talking about coveting people's land and fields. This is not a new instance, obviously. Um, In 1 Kings 21 verses 1 through 16, We see King Ahab, um, and this was less than a century before the book of Micah was written. King Ahab really, really wanted one of the fields of a guy named Naboth, I believe that's how you pronounce it. And there was a whole situation, the Lord said no, couldn't have it. And so Ahab pouted for a while. And then his lovely wife, you've probably heard this name before. Jezebel, she was not a nice lady. She's no good. Okay. So Jezebel had Naboth killed so that her husband, King Ahab, could have the garden. So whenever we're talking about verse chapter one, tracing the sin, and Micah says that the curse of Israel, the upper 12 tribes, has made its way down to Judah, the lower two tribes. Um, he wasn't kidding. Ahab, less than a hundred years beforehand, king of Israel, the upper 10, I think I said 12 just a minute ago, the upper 10 tribes 
did the same thing, and now that kind of attitude has come down to Israel, and many men in authority were also practicing the same covetousness that King Ahab also had in his heart. So, we have verse 3, where the Lord says, you know what? You can have your plan, you can make your plan, you can scheme, you can lay on your beds, do whatever, but I have a plan, and he is planning disaster against these people, and this is God's perfect plan. We have verse 4, where he says, he changes the portion of my people. Um, I I studied with ESV, so it, the, the NIV says, my people's possession is divided up. So, he removes it me to an apostate. He allows his own field. So, a couple things about these verses. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. So, first of all, they took the fields from somebody else. That's the first problem. It's not the most important problem, but it is the first problem. They're complaining about their possession being divided up. Well, they took it from somebody else unjustly. Second problem. All the earth is the Lord's, <laughs> and he can do what he wants with it. So as people of God, as Jews, they had already lost sight of the fact that all the earth is the Lord's, and he can do whatever he wants with it, that he has granted them this land to live on, but it is his land, first and foremost. And then the third problem and I, this was, this was really interesting to me. So I was looking at a couple of different commentaries and both commentators made mention of this, but one focused on this specific problem and the other one did not. It kind of, they kind of forked here, but the conclusion is the same. So the third problem mainly is that Mosaic law, according to the law of Moses, in the 50th year, all land that had been acquired in those times was going to be redistributed back to the people who originally had the land. So if anybody sold family property, um, it was only until the next year of Jubilee, which was every 50 years, at which time all land reverted to its original owners. So this specific arrangement kept the rich from oppressing the poor and also helped to stabilize the economy. And also, if you were a farmer, your farmland, you didn't farm that specific land for that year. You stored up what you needed to make it through that year of Jubilee. That way, the land would rest. And these laws were clearly laid out. You can go look at them and read for, for yourself in Leviticus 25, verse 2, verses 13 through 17, and verses 23 through 24. Specifics about the year of Jubilee and how land was to be distributed during those years. So he's saying one of the things that you could you could point out is that the third problem is that they are saying we're utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. Yes, but it was going to be in the 50th year anyway. And he takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traders. Yes, but as a Jew... You had an understanding, or you should have had an understanding, that in the 50th year, 
that land was going to go back to her originally, that family that originally owned it. So one commentator, Wearsby specifically, focused on the fact that as Jews, these people should have known that this is going to be what, what happened. But then we have verse 5 says, therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. So the other commentator that I read really focused mostly on verse five and the idea of dividing land by lot. So this way, casting lots or like taking straws and things like that, was the way that the land was originally divided in the book of Joshua whenever the Israelites came and settled in the land of Canaan. And that was in Joshua 14 too. They divided the land between the tribes by lot. And in verses after that, not just in the book of Joshua, but in Psalms and things about King David and the kings after that, Evidently, this was a practice that was continued, and you can see that specifically in Psalm 16.6. But Micah says that whenever it comes time in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot, that there's going to be no one there to represent that family. So there's a couple of different ways that you, those couple of different ways you can look at this as far as their complaining and they're good there he's prophesying that they're going to sing this song we are utterly ruined my people's possession is divided up however they should have known that this was going to happen but here's the main issue they would in these days that they would see everything they had lived for and had sinned to acquire be taken over by the enemy and wasted Many of these people that had acquired land by false pretenses would go into exile and die away from the land that they had coveted in the first place. So whether or not the land was going to be reapportioned either with the coming of the year of Jubilee and them actually practicing the law of Moses like they were supposed to, or if land was redivided by lot, either way, the Lord is saying, that they're not they're not going to be there because of their sins they're going into exile and that's going to be what happens and so there was there's a couple of different applications that we can take here so the first one obviously one of the questions that as we're going through a book of the old testament that i have been asking is like what is the new testament say about this and wanting to really show that scripture confirms scripture and scripture teaches scripture like there's no contradiction and so i wanted to take a second i'm sorry if that made you dizzy and look at luke 12 um that's wrong let me just do whoops just Luke 12. I typed that all wrong, which is why it didn't work. Okay. Verse 13. The parable of the rich fool. Now, there's one that I've heard a lot in church, but this one, specifically how this one is laid out, was a little bit different. And so, let's just look at it. Verse 13. 
Oh, you can't see it. Okay. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay. Great job telling Jesus what to do. Here we go. <laughs> Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Verse 16, and he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And say, I'll say to myself, you have, laid, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So something interesting about the difference between ESV and NIV um, it says you have laid up plenty, plenty of grain. Uh, it, the ESV says, and I say to myself, soul, you have laid up plenty of grain. So he's like talking to himself out loud and addresses himself as soul, you have laid up. So the, the thing I really wanted to highlight here is verse 20 through 21. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So the people of Israel in this time period, especially the aristocrats, were storing up for themselves land, treasure, and power. But when they were going to come to the end of their life because of their sin and the way they went about things and the condition of their heart, no one would be there to benefit from all that they had acquired. They would likely be dead and their family would likely be dead or in exile. And the same, God saying the same thing here in Luke chapter 12, you fool this very night, your life will be demanded. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So the question I have for you and for myself also is, what are we striving for? What is the condition of our hearts? Are we coveting good things or are we coveting things to build our own kingdom? And... In our culture, where we have an excess of stuff, it's 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 really easy to have this sort of self-serving me attitude, where you are working to benefit yourself, and especially in just this time we're in, where you might be wanting to save a lot of extra money so that you can say, oh. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But that's not necessarily what God has commanded us to do. He's commanded us to be generous and to take care of the people of God and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And to not just be generous with our money, but also with our time and with the gifts that God has given us. Whether it's uh, serving or teaching or... Um, encouraging each other that might be something that 
you're really gifted and it's just being really encouraging. Um, those are also things that we have a tendency to store up for ourselves and not share with our brothers and sisters in Christ and also unbelievers. So that's just the the big question that I want to leave you with is what is it that you are striving for? Are you striving to make your life easier and to build your kingdom? Or are you seeking to further the kingdom of God? And does that mean that your lifestyle might have to change a little bit? It could. But I think mostly we have to daily choose to surrender to Christ. And sometimes that might mean not getting a Starbucks latte and doing something else with that money. Or it might mean taking a couple of extra minutes at the grocery store to talk to somebody who might be struggling. It, it just depends. And it depends on how the Lord's leading you. So I really would like to challenge you to take some time today or this week and ask the Lord to show you where your heart is and what you're striving for. Are you striving to take life easy, eat and drink and be merry or to build his kingdom and forgot to show you ways that you can do that, whether it's big or little throughout the week. So some challenging stuff here in these verses, but I hope this has been encouraging as well as challenging and that I'll see you guys whenever we start talking about verse six in chapter two. So share with your friends, give me a thumbs up if you liked this. I know I sound like one of those cheesy YouTube people, but if you liked it, give me a thumbs up. Don't forget to subscribe so you can get notifications of whenever we have new videos coming out and I have a few different things in the works. So I'm excited to share with you. Hope you have a great week. Bye.